Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you to our worship team. Hey, take your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. Hey, for those of you watching us online and at our Rossville campus, thank you for tuning in today as well. We're so glad you are where you are as well. 2 Samuel 11, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be on the screen here in just a moment. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago on King David, how to be a person after God's own heart. And so we've been looking at that. We've looked at things like do your part, win your battles. And today I want to talk about maybe the one incident in, in David's life he wished we would not talk about. It's almost like the worst thing you've ever done is on public display. And so today I want to preach on this and five ways not to ruin your life. I'll be honest, that's not the best title in the world. I just couldn't think of anything else. I just want you to hear the sermon more than I care about you hearing the title. Because here's what I want you to hear me say this morning. A person after God's heart can ruin their life. Sometimes we get in a groove in the Christian life and we, we feel like we're just clicking on all cylinders in our walk with God and in our lives. And sometimes when we feel that way, we feel a little impervious to the temptations of the devil. We feel, we, we feel a little bit like Superman when it comes to the enemy. But hear me this morning, hear me. You can ruin your life. Life is rocked with scandal. And by the way, the preaching community is not immune. Maybe because preachers preach morality, it's more noticeable when we break the code we espouse. Uh, as a matter of fact, a lot of high-profile preachers are infamous because they were caught doing what their congregants do on a regular basis. But I, I say some of these names. As a matter of fact, I can show you the photos and you'll know who they are. Maybe not a great photo, but you get it. Who's that? Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. Maybe some of you that was before their time, but he was brought down by a, a, a sexual scandal and abuse and fraud. 1987, Baker's uh, secretary publicly accused the televangelist of raping and drugging her. And before it was all said and done, he got 45 years in prison. It was really the first one of its kind. He was really one of the uh, uh, first one with that big of a, of, a, um, of a scandal that we saw publicly, a preacher that was on television. But he became the first of many. Remember who this is? Jimmy Swaggart. A Pentecostal televangelist who started on television in 1975. In the 1980s, it was, it was Jimmy Swaggart that teamed up with Jerry Falwell and James Robertson and Pat Robertson and, and really caused the Christian right to shape the Republican Party in the 1980s. But his fall from grace happened in 1988 when it was, became public that he was cheating on his wife with a New Orleans prostitute. 
We got to watch it unfold right before us. This is from his apology speech that we, many of us in that era, I was just a, uh, I was just a little boy, I think, at that time. I don't remember, you know, like four years old or something or two. Maybe I wasn't born yet. I don't remember. But it was, uh, I was a young guy at the time and seeing that on television, it, it began to rock our world. And I, I could go on and on, by the way, I won't, but you, many of you may not know this one, but it was just as big. When Bob Coy, who was the evangelical pastor in Florida, his church in Florida ran 25,000 people. It was such an influence that George uh, W. Bush even visited a church service at Bob Coy's church. But in 2014, this, this huge, uh, uh, famous evangelical pastor admitted to multiple affairs and a pornography addiction. And even in 2017, he was accused of molesting a four-year-old child. And his ministry came crashing down. By 2017, he was, or 2019, he was out of work as a preacher, but he got a job for a little while, and this doesn't have anything to do with the story, I just love the name. He was the manager at a nightclub in Florida called the Funky Biscuit. So I don't know why it strikes me as funny, but the name Funky Biscuit strikes me as funny. These were men who had enormous ministries, but wound up ruining their Lives. And by the way, we could go on and on and on and on. But remember, hear me, many of the things these preachers have done, the members of their congregation are doing on a regular basis. They just don't get caught. Or if they do, it's not as high profile when they get caught. I'm not just picking on my kind. I'm letting you know my kind is human. But be very aware, every one of those preachers had members in their congregations who are doing the same thing. And by the way, we're not immune here even at Peavine for that. Right? Everybody has regret. Can, you hear, can I get an amen right there? Everybody has regrets. But over the years, I've seen too many people who were a woman after God's own heart, a man after God's own heart, trying to blow it and ruin their lives. We've all, we all have regret, right? In general, we all have two times of regret. Even psychology will tell you have two kinds of regret. Number one is regret over what we didn't do. That is omission, things that, that we wish we had done. As a matter of fact, studies will show that oftentimes when you're, when you're on your deathbed, it is the things you wish you would have done that cause you the most regrets, uh, things of omission. But we also have regret over what we did do, and that is commission, things we did do with our lives, things we wish we had not have done. Commission in the short term is what bothers us the most. Omission in the long term maybe is what bothers us most. But I, I define it this way. Omission is soft regret. Commission is hard regret. What might have been versus what was done. How do we avoid, avoid that hard regret? How do we avoid that sin of commission? It, we, we avoid it by staying away from the sin that causes it. Because that's what it always is in the Christian life. And David had regret. He wasn't a perfect man by any stretch of the imagination. Yet he was still a man after God's own heart. Yet if there's one thing in David's life he could take back. 
It'd be the story we're reading today, the story where he nearly ruined his life. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word and let's look. We're going to read the most of the story, so it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or at home if you just want to follow along on the screen. 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1. In the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam and wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. She had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness, and afterwards she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to David, came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing, how the war was going. Then he said, Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David, Uriah didn't go home. David questioned Uriah, haven't you just come home from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, the ark, Israel, and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my master Joab and his soldiers are camping in the open field. How can I enter my house to eat and drink and sleep with my wife? As surely as you live and by your life, I will not do this. Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. And the letter he wrote, put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, then withdraw him uh, from him so that he is struck down and dies. When Joab was besieging the city, he put Uriah in the palace where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab. And some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. Uriah the Hittite also died. So Joab sent someone to report to David all the details of the battle. He commanded the messenger, when you finish telling the king all the details of the battle, if the, king anger, uh, if the king's anger gets stirred up and he asks you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you realize they would shoot from the top of the wall? At Thebaz, who struck Abimelech, son of Jerobosheth, didn't a woman drop a, an upper millstone on him from the top of the wall so that he died? Why did you get so close to the wall? Then say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then the messenger left. When he arrived, he reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. Thank you. You may be seated. So many of you know this story, but if you don't, let me, let me tell you the story in brief, brief. And let me just bring out five quick points today that David's army went out to war. And for some inexplicable reason, David decided to stay behind and take it easy. But David was known as a man of war. That's what he did. He was a general. He was a battler. He was a fighter. But for some reason, David decided to stay home. And he's taking it easy one night, strolling out on the roof. And he literally turns into a peeping Tom. And he sees his neighbor bathing over beyond him. He finds out who she is, he invites her over, he seduces her, and he commits adultery with her. And then she became pregnant. 
Her husband, Uriah, was one of David's best fighting men, one of the greatest men he had. David had him come in from the front lines and give a report and take some time off. His hope was that Uriah would go in into his wife, sleep with his wife, and then he would think the child was his. They didn't have paternity tests in the day, and so it would just make sense. But Uriah wouldn't go home because he said it wasn't right because his brothers were fighting and he was taking it easy. So David tried twice and it didn't work. And so he arranged for Uriah to be killed on the battlefield. It was murder. It wasn't just the murder of Uriah. Other men died as well, but it was specifically the murder of Uriah. And so it happened exactly as David wanted. Uriah was killed by the hand of David. And he let Bathsheba mourn and then he brought her into his home and married her. I mean, whoa, right? I mean, that makes Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart look mild compared to what David, a man after God's own heart, did. That's a situation that got out of hand in a hurry that is laden with regret. Now, next week, be here next week, because if you think today's hard preaching ending on a bad note, next week I'm going to tell you what to do about it. But how did a man after God's own heart wind up? In this situation, and what in the world can we do not to go there? Because I'm telling you, church, I've been in a pastorate over 25 years, ministry longer than that. I'm telling you, I've seen it happen to some of the best people a church has ever known. I've seen it happen to some of the best pastors I've ever known. As a matter of fact, I'll be honest, I've, nothing has discouraged me even in ministry more than this. I get discouraged when, when church members that, that we love and care about and who have been so important to the work of God at a church come to me one day and say, preacher, I've, I've made a mistake. It's discouraging to me when it's a pastor. I'll never forget, I went to a conference one time. It's been, it's been about 12 or 13 years ago. I went to a conference one time, heard a preacher preach, and I'm going to tell you, I, I can't explain what I'm about to say to you, but I'm going to tell you, the glory of God absolutely fell. I heard him preaching that sermon, was literally weeping as he preached. I came home, and it was a conference I was at. I sat down and ordered 10, to see how long ago it was, I ordered 10 CDs of that sermon. Y'all remember CDs, compact discs of that sermon? And I said to my wife, it's the best sermon I've ever heard in my life. I'm going to hand these out to people. I'm going to use this to bless people. That's the best sermon I've ever heard. It, It took about two weeks for the CDs to get to my office. And I set them on my desk and said, I'm going to start handing them out. And it was within days of receiving the CDs I found out. The man who preached that sermon was no longer in the ministry. That he had been caught having a girlfriend follow him from preaching appointment to a preaching appointment and sneaking in his hotel. And I told my wife, I I don't know anything. I thought I just heard the best sermon of my life preached by a man who's been committing adultery for over a decade. Nothing demoralizes people more than that. So how do we not have that as our testimony? How do we stay away from that? And by the way, this sermon applies to so much more than adultery that's here in the text. That's what's in the text. But hear me this morning. Don't sit around and think, well, preacher, I'm not committing adultery. I'm good. No, this is not just a sermon on adultery. This is a sermon on any sin in your life that could ruin your life. You apply it to you. As a matter of fact, pray and let the Holy Spirit apply it to you.
How do we not ruin our lives? Let me give you five ways. I'll have to give them to you in a hurry this morning. Number one is this. Don't lose sight of your calling. Don't lose sight of your calling. Here's what the Bible says, that David was a king of war. As a matter of fact, God would not let David build the temple because he was a man of war. I'm reading in my daily Bible reading now about Solomon and Solomon building the temple. And David had gotten a lot of the parts together, the pieces together, but God would not allow him to build the temple. Why? He was a man of war. His entire calling on David's life was to bring the land together, unite them, subdue their enemies around them. He was fighting as a boy, as we look at last time with Goliath and he continues to fight that way but when we get to 2 Samuel chapter 11 David has forgotten his calling in life David's first step down a slippery slope was David forgot that he was a had a calling on his life to be the man of war to be the man that subdued the enemies to be the king that fought the battles now we get to 2 Samuel 11. He prioritizes the earthly over the heavenly, the carnal over the spiritual, the flesh over the spirit, himself over God, the immediate over the internal. So doing, he lost sight of the high calling that God had placed on his life. It was an honor for him to be the king that was going to unite all of Israel and subdue his enemies. But somewhere along the way, David got lazy in his calling from God. And here this morning, it's easy for us to do that as well. As a matter of fact, your first step towards a fall is when you forget that you have the high calling of a child of God and that you have a greater calling on your life than just checking off days in this world we live in. We forget sometimes that our calling, our eternity, that the Spirit of God, uh, that when we forget those things, that we are heading towards a fall. When we prioritize this life over our spiritual life, hear me, you always make a bad decision. Because we all have a heavenly call in our lives that you should pursue with passion. And when you get your eyes, when we get our eyes, uh, uh, when we lose sight of that, hear me, our eyes focus on lesser things. Paul said this, and it's true for you as well. This is not a preacher verse, it's a Christian verse that I pursue as my goal, the prize promised by God's heavenly call. In Christ Jesus, heavenly call. You have a heavenly call on your life in Christ Jesus. And God said that you are to be in pursuit of the high calling that God has on your life. If we keep our calling in front of us, it keeps us on the right path. But hear me, when we step out of our lane, you step into failure. The Braves won the World Series. Amen. Are you allowed to amen that? I don't know if you're allowed to amen that or not. Baseball is such a fun sport. Such a fun sport. One of the things that if you go to a baseball game, the baseball game is fun, but all the stuff surrounding a baseball game is fun. And I loved it at the World Series that you sent me to church. Thank you for sending Sherry and I to that. It was so much fun. And there's 35 minutes of of just stuff going on before the game that Friday night that was so, so much fun to watch and to be a part of and, and to experience. But one of the odd things about Major League Baseball is they always have somebody ceremoniously throw out the first pitch. That's on some random game in July. They still have somebody ceremonial. Nobody pays attention then, but when you get to like opening day and playoffs and World Series, we pay a lot of attention to people who uh, throw out the first pitch. But can we be honest? Not everybody 
is skilled enough to throw out the first pitch. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll show you some people. Watch this. Carl Lewis. One of the greatest athletes of all time. NBA player. Okay. And then finally, a beauty queen. Miss Texas 2014. Now, those were bad. Guys, go full screen on this next one if you can. This is probably the worst first pitch of all time. Conor McGregor, who is an MMA fighter and who is very good at his craft, watch 10 seconds of this. No, vo no volume. And he threw it in the stands. Yep, yep. Why, why am I showing you those? Because here's why I'm showing you those. Every one of those, except for Nolan Ryan's, bless his heart, were thrown by somebody who was really, really good at something. But they stepped out of their calling and they were really, really bad when they did. I'm telling you, as a child of God, you have a calling on your life. And when you step out of your calling as a child of God, when you step out of your calling as a Christian, you will only find failure. Man, you've been called to be a godly husband. Man, you've been called to be a godly dad. You've been called to have a career of integrity. Don't throw that away and step out of your calling as a child of God. Ladies, you've been, you have a calling as a godly wife, a godly mom, a godly career woman, whatever it may be. Don't step out of that calling. Students, you've been called to be a godly influence on those around you who need Christ. Don't step out of that calling. When we fall, it's because we've lost sight of our heavenly calling. In, in a flash, the temporary takes priority over the eternal. And when that happens, press pause in your life. And ask yourself, what am I about to lose here? What am I about to give up? 
What am I about to say goodbye to? Listen, you'll never get the testimony back you lost. Never. Don't lose sight of your calling. Number two, we learned this from David. If you don't want to ruin your life, number two, don't look and linger. David's not at war, but he's on his roof taking it easy. And then he sets his eyes on something he shouldn't see. His neighbor's wife was bathing outside, which was a common practice of the era. They didn't have running water, uh, maybe sometimes in a palace, but most of the time they did not. And, and, and so David would have stepped outside and he would have seen um, uh, his neighbor's wife bathing outside, which the palace would have been the highest building in the city. And so David should have just done what any do- decent man would have done, godly man would have done, and that would have been to turn his eyes somewhere else. The problem was not just that he saw, that could have been an accident. The problem was he lingered. He let his eyes go where they shouldn't have gone and stayed where they should not have stayed. And the Bible warns us about this. Psalm 101, it says this, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. That the psalmist was very well aware that you have to be careful what you put in front of your eyes. You have to be careful where you look and you have to be careful where you linger because our eyes can get us into all kinds of trouble. Our eyes can be gateways into sin in our life. Our eyes can be gateways into lust and envy and jealousy and covetous in our lives. Instagram just told us that. Facebook just told us that. They just released an internal report that, that said this. Let me read to you. Here's what they said. That Instagram is harmful to as many as 20% of teenage girls who use the app. The Wall Street Journal got a hold of the report and here's what they said. 32% of teen girls said that when they felt bad about their bodies, Instagram made them feel worse. The company's own report said we make body image issues worse for one in three teen girls. That teens blame Instagram for increases in the rate of anxiety and depression. Anxiety and depression. Meaning what they see is causing them damage in their lives. What they see. Just what they see. Not what they touch. Not what they talk to. Not where they go, but simply what they see. And can I tell you this morning, it's not just teenage girls. Your eyes can get you into your trouble. Your eyes can get you into sin. Your eyes can cause you to fall. Your eyes can ruin your uh, spirit. Your eyes can cause depression in your life. Be careful what you look and linger. Listen, I want to say it's an epidemic in our land, but turn off your social media. Get a filter for your device. Keep your eyes looking straight ahead. Here's what he said. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Here's what the uh, writer of Proverbs was trying to tell us. Don't let your eyes wander like David's did where they should not wander. Don't look and linger. You can ruin your life just by looking and lingering. Number three, we learned this from David. Don't let one thing lead to another. Now follow me, I don't have it on the screen, but follow me this morning. Here's David's progression in his, in his ruin. Laziness, lust, adultery, murder. Did you hear how that started off and how it ended? Here was David's com- progression. Laziness, lust, adultery, murder. As the old theologian said, that escalated quickly, didn't it? 
Laziness, lust, adultery, murder. Hear me this morning. Sin always escalates. Learn this this morning, that the devil is never content with the misery you're in. He always wants to take you farther down the road and farther away from the Lord. And hear me, if you hear anything I say this morning, hear what I'm about to say now. Your first step in the wrong direction will not be a big step. Your first step to adultery won't be a big step. Your first step to being an alcoholic won't be a big step. Your first step into into theft from your company won't be a big step. Whatever the sin is, maybe in your life the enemy is testing you with, hear me, your first step is never a big step. You'll convince yourself that you will stop it before it gets out of hand. That's what you always do. Oh, I'll stop this before it gets out of hand. There's no way I'll let it go that far. I'm just going to take one step. Well, you know what the devil knows? The devil knows that if you have a happy marriage, he can't get you to commit adultery tonight. But you know what he can do? He can just get you to take one small step in that direction laziness lust adultery murder and there were micro steps along the way micro decisions along the way that we don't even know about in the text that was just one small step after another hear me one thing leads to another and that road you're on eventually leads in death I love this. If you if you use Google Maps or 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 uh, Apple Maps is the worst. I don't know if you use Apple Maps or not. They're infamously known for uh, leading you to the middle of the ocean to a city that's not in the middle of the ocean. But this one was on Google Maps when a Scottish mountaineering group had been suggesting that Google had been putting out potentially fatal raps, uh, routes up mountains and over cliffs. They claimed that when you get to here, that this is the route you walk up this mountain in Scotland, but you see where it goes into a dotted line? Do you know why it's a dotted line? Because that walks you off a cliff and you fall down to the bottom. And they just suggested maybe you shouldn't do that. But here's exactly how sin works. Follow me. Everything's going fine. I'm just on a route, taking a step at a time. But all the while, I'm inching closer and closer to ruin. And finally, there'll be that final step that leads to death of something and ruin. It's what sin does. Take this step, take this step, take this one, take this one. And next thing you know, you look back and your life has gone over a cliff and your life is ruined. You don't want to fall, so stop following the devil's map this morning. One thing will lead to another and you'll be ruined before you know it. You, the fourth thing, I, I've got to preach a little more quickly. Number four, don't let a sinful heart turn into a hard heart. You don't want to ruin your life? Don't let a sinful heart turn into a hard heart. David is presented throughout Scripture as a tender-hearted warrior throughout his whole narrative, and he is until now. And David becomes a cold-hearted killer. David was always inquiring of the Lord. He was always singing to the Lord. He was always praying to the Lord. He was always worshiping the Lord, except now. And now David is as cold-hearted as you can be. We'll see it next week in the sermon. But once you've let sin drag you down, be aware of this. Your heart will get cold. It's not just a hard, it's not just a sinful heart. It's a hard heart and it's a cold heart. You know how I can tell? I see it. I see it all the time. 
people who have fallen morally, people who have gone too far. Can I tell you what happens? Your actions change. Your attitude, your attitude changes. Your attitude becomes hard and cold and distant. Your words change. I've seen, it, I've seen it so much in ministry. Man, I wish I could just tell you stories this morning. I've seen it so much in ministry where all of a sudden somebody that was involved in sin, you know what happens? Their words get less guarded. Their vocabulary gets a little worse. Church doesn't have any zest for you anymore. You, you won't touch your Bible. You don't kneel and pray. You don't listen to advice at all. All that's nothing more than a cold, hard heart. You go from a tender heart to a cold heart to a hard heart, and be careful, all of a sudden you can't hear from the Lord. Some of you may be here, that's your condition today. You won't take advice, you won't listen to anyone, your attitude is sour. You're unapologetic, un caring about the damage you've caused and yet no one knows what your life is like it's because you have a heart and a cold heart number five you don't want to ruin your life i want to give you one more piece of advice and that's this don't think that god has not noticed david did all this as if god couldn't see but here's the funny thing david had begged god to see him before David had always wanted God's attention. I could have showed you psalm after psalm after psalm. But here, here's what David used to say. Pay attention to me and answer me. I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint. That was always David's prayer. David was always, Lord, pay attention to me. Lord, look at me. Lord, listen to me. But all of a sudden, David's praying for God to look at him has stopped. And he doesn't want God paying any attention. But, but he, God is about to send a preacher to call him out on his sin. Hear me this morning. God is paying attention. He has noticed. And hear me. I'll show you next week. The reckoning is coming to David. You can hide from the preacher and you can hide from a deacon and you can hide from a Sunday school teacher and you can hide from your husband and you can hide from your wife and you hide from your kids and you can hide from your parents. But hear me. You cannot hide from God. He will notice close your bibles and i'm finished thomas valley police that's in buckinghamshire england were chasing a car when the driver we see this all the time right driver ditched his vehicle and took off running in a town called ellsbury so he ditched his car he took off running and he ran to the nearest building to try to hide from the police. Fortunately, the nearest building was the Asbury Police Station. And on the way there, the 25-year-old unnamed um, criminal was throwing the evidence out of his pockets. In the church, in the church, in the police parking lot. So the police calmly walked behind him, bagged and gathered the evidence, and had all they needed 
for the drug charges they filed against him. Here's what the police station said. I quote. Chief police said this. The police station is open to the public and to anyone else who may be looking to hide from the police. He ran right into custody. Now I'm going to ask you to do the same thing today. I'm going to ask you to run right into custody. Because there are people in this room, there's no doubt God had me preach this message what will be three times a day and tomorrow night online and today online. Because there's somebody here on the verge of making a decision that will ruin your life. Oh, you, you may have been a man after God's own heart. You may have been a woman after God's own heart. You may be all up in the church and care about church and love the church. I'm not even saying it was fake. I'm saying it's genuine. But it just takes one bad decision. You can ruin your life. Here's what I'm asking you to do today. Run straight into custody. You say, well, preacher, how in the world? I, I, I'm, I'm, I'll admit to myself, preacher, I may be there. What do I do? Humble repentance is the only solution to where you are. The Bible says, Proverbs 28, 13, whosoever confesses and forsakes their sin shall find mercy. Would you stand with me? Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're watching online, Pastor Jeremy's got a word for you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Joel, for that that message, that convicting message. And, And the truth is, God knows we're still going to mess up. We, we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We begin that relationship with Him. We still mess up. David, who was a man after God's own heart, according to the Apostle Paul, David messed up. The, the thing that we need to know and we need to understand is when we do mess up, we need to make it right. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't hang on to your sin. When you allow sin to stay in your life, it leads to other sins. It leads to bigger problems. And pretty soon we find ourselves in a mess. And maybe this morning you've never started that relationship with Jesus. Your sins have never been forgiven. You've never Ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. We want to give you an opportunity to do that. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner. Understanding that you've offended God with your sin and there's nothing you can do to fix it. We've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried dead in the tomb, and on the third day he rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for me and for you. And then you just confess him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Romans chapter 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I'm going to pray a really simple prayer right now. And if your intent is to give your heart and life to Jesus, I want you to pray that prayer with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. Through your Holy Spirit, God, I'm asking you to come into my heart. Make all things new. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time and you meant it, we want to tell you welcome to the family. 
We want to share some resources with you. We want to connect with you. We want to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus. And so um, we've just uh, dropped a, a link in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. If you'll click on that and answer just a couple of questions, uh, we'll connect with you this week. Man, it's been great to be in God's house this morning together uh, online. We've enjoyed it so much, and um, I'm thankful for you, and I can't wait to see you next week. God bless you. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.